Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. It's that time to jump back into Matthew chapter 6 for the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's discussion on how to pray. And if anything is important, it's that our prayers are effective and productive. And so uh, Jesus is going to make sure that we get the information that we need uh, to make sure uh, those prayers are just that, productive and a blessing. And so let's ask the Lord for his help. Father God, as we consider the most famous words here that we call the Lord's Prayer, God, we We know you didn't give it for us to repeat mindlessly over and over again, uh, but as an outline, uh, categories of topics that we should include uh, in our daily praying. And so God help us to uh, have the wisdom to, to get the point of why you gave us this outline and then learn from it, see some new things and, uh, implement them into our daily interaction with God our Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Two guys were working on the job site. One of them was saying he was recently checking out a lot of churches and his buddy was a bit surprised. He didn't seem the type. He didn't believe him and he says to him, if you're so religious, recite the Lord's Prayer. And if you can, I'll give you 20 bucks. And the guy says, easy money. And he says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know the Lord's Prayer too? The guy who challenged him just shook his head, took out his wallet, and handed him a twenty. Handed him a twenty and muttered, "I didn't think you could do it." <laughs> There's a lot of confusion out there about all things Christian, churched and unchurched, and heading the topic of what's confusing out there is the topic of what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to pray because everybody, the whole world prays. Probably 95% of the world has uttered at least one prayer. And so it's a big deal, but unchurched and church people alike. The Holy Spirit says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, we, the church, (laughs) we don't know how we ought to pray. We need help by the Holy Spirit who is glad to step in and intercede on our behalf. And so that's the good news. Here in Matthew 6, 
as I said, Jesus now in the Sermon on the Mount, he's rebuking the religious teachers of the day for their hypocrisy. Everything they do is for a show, even their prayers, their public praying. They bow their heads and say these formal, flowery words, but their hearts weren't into it. And so Jesus had to say, uh, you know, don't be like them. And as you recall, we're picking back up in this very paragraph where Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like pagans who don't know God, who are just chanting and repeating things over and over again ad nauseum. Uh, but you have a father. So I think that whole point of right there, if you don't learn anything today except one thing, our father, that we approach God as a father, as the, a loving dad who knows everything about us because he birthed us. God, we are children of God, born of God, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but... <laughs> That's the way it is, our Father. And so now this passage, Jesus is going to, as he was doing, giving do's and don'ts about praying. Uh, and then he says, let me give you an example. Here's how to pray, not here's what to pray. You see? So here's the structure. Here's some insights. Here's a way to think about who you are, who God is, so that when you do pray, you've got these things in mind and to help you to aim your prayers and construct them in a way that's biblical. Biblical thinking about who you are, what's going on, what's important, and all of that. That's the purpose of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to dive in now. What is sad and strange and ironic is, is that Jesus gives the example right after saying, don't repeat prayers over and over again. The very uh, sample prayer he gives has been turned into the most repeated prayer over and over again by people all over the world thousands of times in their lives, and most of them don't come to a saving knowledge of Christ with a heart interacting with the Father. And so very sad, very ironic, and we don't want to fall into any of that. So we turn our attention now to the model prayer with all its invaluable insights. We skipped it last week so that we could spend more time on it this morning. So let's get started here. And when you pray, just backing up for some context, uh, the next paragraph is ours to consider this morning. This was last week. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love standing in the synagogues, putting on a show uh, on the street corners to be seen by men. Look at me. I'm so devoted. I tell you the truth. There you go. They have their reward in full. But when you pray, it's private, personal. Go into your room, close the door behind you, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. You have a father, <laughs> for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Of course, God's going to hear me because I'm torturing myself with this prayer. Uh, eight, do not be like them. Don't do that. For your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Next breath. 
This then is how you should pray. Don't repeat things over and over again, but here's the structure, how you should be thinking of God and your role and uh, his heart and your obligation. Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he tags this on that seems, what? How does this go with the prayer? So he says, by the way, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so some arresting comments there tagged on to what we call the Lord's Prayer. And the reason I keep saying what we call the Lord's Prayer is because it's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's the disciples' prayer, or should be. The disciples in Luke's account uh, are asking to be taught how to pray. And he says, this is how you can pray. And so it's in the context of how disciples should be thinking about God, thinking about them, thinking about prayer, what's important to include. And so uh, the Lord's Prayer can be found in, J in John 17, that mysterious, majestic prayer there in John 17. I would call that the Lord's Prayer, but this is more the disciples' prayer. But sometimes it's called our Father, the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, and we understand what we're saying. So not, not what to pray, but how to pray. And we can leave that uh, slide up there because that's what we're considering today. This is the basics. This is when the disciples said, Lord, how should we pray? He says, this is how you should pray. This is, this is prayer 101. It is so basic. It is not designed to be the exhaustive uh, instruction on prayer. There's so much of life and godliness left out of the prayer. There's all kinds of prayers. We're supposed to be praying without ceasing and all kinds of prayers and thanksgivings and intercessions. They're not listed in the prayer. So he's saying this is basic daily prayer, that just the everyday run of the mill, there you are in your quiet time. These are things to be thinking about. They're important. And that's the, the, the real gist of it here. And so the basic stuff of a believer's basic daily praying for sure. And um, now uh, he's going, and, and then he tacks on something that says, and by the way, if you want your prayers to be heard at all, speaking of forgiving those who offend us, just in case you think that's optional, uh, that's something that'll put a hole inside of the boat and your prayers will be sinking rather than rising. And so that's how it's related. So we'll take a look at uh, the prayer and then the warning that will tuck that in with the forgiveness part of the prayer. So note takers, if you need some structure, uh, number one, first the approach, and then that's verse nine, and then the purpose is verse 10, the purpose of our Christian lives, let alone the purpose of praying. And then, then three requests, that's what's in the prayer, and that's what be our third point. So let's dive into the first, the approach. Spencer, thank you for that. 
All right, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we dive in now here. Now, two surprises right at the jump now. And so to our first century Jewish listeners are going to be shocked to hear the approach. Starting with the first word. Jesus, you just told us that when you pray, it's private, personal. You should go into your room, close the door behind you, and just start praying. And this is how you should do it. Our. Wait a second here. And the whole prayer is framed in third person. Us, our. Right? Like we're all corporately praying. But he just said it's a private matter. It's a matter of your heart, deep calling to deep. And why does he switch the pronoun, not my Lord, my God, which is not wrong. Paul the apostle says, my gospel my God and my Savior, Thomas, my Lord and my God. There's nothing wrong in that. But he's directing us to say, I want you to start thinking, when you approach God, outside of yourselves, outside of self-interest, outside of this all exists about you, right? And there are millions of people who go into the room, shut the door, and start talking to God as if it's all about them and God. And he's saying, no, let's start the first word with our us, kingdom, right? So something more important than just your personal wishes and wants is going on, and that's reflected in the very first word, our Father. Not just yours, not just how you see life, not just what's going on in your little world. This is about us as well. And so there's a good quote. It's a little extended here. Let me read. It's a paragraph. A supplicant. A supplicant is somebody who comes before God with a request. Big word. A supplicant must not think of themselves only in terms of themselves. But God defines us as individual members of one corporate body. We are connected to a father which makes believers eternal brothers and sisters. So when we come before God, we are to remember that it's not all about us. My needs, my desires are all well and good, but that we share a kingdom, responsibility to one another, responsibility to God's will, a father, a common purpose in life where the cause of the gospel and the glory of God and his redemptive purposes are of first and foremost importance. Who would have ever thought that God could communicate the sense of that idea with one word? Our, us. That means the person sitting next to you is important to God and expects that you have a moral obligation. And if you go about life with a me-centered attitude, your prayers, your prayers are missing it because it's us and our and his kingdom first and foremost. Surprise number two, we approach God and the only way this will make, and the only way this will work is Father. Now, it's not proper in Jewish thinking back in the day 
uh, to address God as Father. You all know that the Jews have a thing about the divine name. To this day, if a Jew writes out the word God, they write it G-D because they're showing reverence to the name. It's so holy, so sacred, so awesome, we shouldn't even spell it out. And so for that reason, nobody knows if it's Yahweh or Jehovah because they stopped saying the name. So instead, they'd call him something like uh, Mighty God or Lord or Master. There was great distance because hallowed be thy name, holy is thy name. And so there's the balance. He's our Abba Dad, Father, which I'll explain how that came about, but he's also holy and awesome, distinctly other He's separated from sin and darkness in moral purity. And so uh, they sense the distance, right? And so for, that, for Jesus to say, you can come into God's presence and call him dad. Wow, without a mediator, we would, and we must feel fearful of this gulf between us and God and to emphasize that, the Jews all knew that there was a, uh, between God's presence in the Holy of Holy in the temple and, and them, the worshiper, was a veil that separated everybody unholy from a holy God. This is why you would never just say, oh, Father, because there was a, a problem. And that veil was 30 feet wide and 60 feet tall. It was as thick as the uh, breath of a hand. It took 200 priests to manipulate that veil, emphasizing the distance between us. But when Jesus, the Son of God, who dies for our sins and takes them away, the last thing he says is, it is finished, it is paid. And then what does the scripture say? And then the next breath in the scriptures is, the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, signifying the one doing the tearing. And now he's inviting us in. So anybody who believes in Christ then is washed in that blood and born into the kingdom to, he came to his own, his own rejected him, but to everyone who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not born because two people got together and said, let's have kids, but born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now they're children of the Most High God. Now! Now because you've been blood washed, now because you've come to Christ, now because the sins have been taken away, now that the temple curtain is torn in two because your sins are gone, paid for in full, now because the Holy Spirit has raised you to new life and you're a new creation, somebody who's crying out to Abba God, this new life in you says, Daddy, you're born like a little baby and now... You come in cleansed, innocent in his sight, and you get to say to the God of the universe, Abba, Father. But Jesus says, and don't forget, holy. He's still holy. But now, holy is his name. But now, holy is your name, too. Oh, before, no, your name was not holy. Oh, but now he has made you 
holy through that transaction. Now there's a shared moral purity. There's a shared holiness. There's a shared family resemblance because like Father who is holy, we are holy. I love that scripture, Hebrews 10, 14. I think it's my favorite scripture. Certainly this morning it is. (laughs) For by, listen to this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So in a sense, there's no, you are not going to be any holier than you are in God's sight. But you are already, but not yet. So you're working out by the power of the Holy Spirit, that holiness. That's why he says, I'm holy, be holy, for I am holy. That is something uh, that puts us right with him, his death. And now, not, not only can you speak my name, not only can you spell my name out now, you know what? You can spell it this way. F-A-T-H-E-R. And you know, for short, if you just want to scribble out D-A-D, you can do that too. And Jesus is really implying the only way, the only way to approach God that's going to work to pray to him is Father. Because if you haven't been a blood-washed child who's been raised from the dead to new life, if you haven't been born of God... Your prayers aren't reaching God because you're not as child. You're not coming as friend, but as foe. There's only two approaches, father or foe. And Christ turns the foes into friends and family and children of the most high God. And so, yes, no more of that awful distance between us. No formal prayers to your dad, please. And if, like I said, if you don't get anything out of this message, but that you approach God as your dad, you tell him dad stuff. A good dad, the perfect dad. Get all of that nonsense out of your head. You know, come on, come on. I had a very difficult father. I could tell you stories, make your head spin around. But the second I got saved, I knew in my heart that God the Father is nothing like my earthly father. I knew that. I'm not saying that you wouldn't have any struggle because I I understand that. I come from that. But what is this stuff about, oh, I have a problem with father because of my father? Your brain should override that. Your faith should override that. And don't deprive yourself from embracing the love of a perfect, wonderful, loving father because of your father or grandfather's or some, somebody's uh, dysfunctional brokenness. Amen? And so uh, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So he says, come on into the throne room of God and get what you need. And the way you do that is you start it out with Father. And if that's all we do, and then we go in as kids saying what, what we need from our Father, then that's even enough. So talk about having a friend in high places, right? So uh, <laughs> verse 10 Uh, says right there, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The approach, the second part of it, that if you don't get this, your prayers are just going to go away, right? Because (laughs) our attitude 
to incorporate is, is that God's will and God's kingdom and his purposes for us and the world must come to pass. And that's what true prayer and a true Christian life is all about. That's how you aim your prayers. That's how you aim your thinking. That's how you live your life. It's not for your kingdom and the good of everything working out in your personal life the way you thought it was supposed to go. There's always that undercurrent and the overarching theme, what, what's good for the kingdom, what's good for the gospel? How is God glorified in all of this? Here it is. How may I be useful to God, not how may God be useful to me and my kingdom? And entire denominations have got it inversed where God exists to make you happy. God exists to just listen for all of your whims and all of your desires. And when it should be, we're serving him listening for all of his whims and, and wishes and wants, right? He says, if you don't get this straight at the beginning of your thinking of approaching God, your prayers are going to be useless. <laughs> just, just missing the mark, so... Your kingdom come, in one sense, the kingdom of God has come. He says, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near to you. Because why? The king of heaven is near. So he's saying it's in your midst right now. We've tasted, we see that, and we want the whole deal. That's what the prayer is, looking for the future fulfillment and consummation of what we've got the down payment for. So the Holy Spirit is, and the life we live now is a down payment. But our prayer in our hearts and our lives, bent of our lives, is toward the day he appears in the sky and the kingdom that's unseen now, that's within now, is then without and manifest for every eye to see. Behold, he comes in the clouds. And every eye shall see him, even those who did the deed and pierced him shall see him come with great glory. And he says, that's the bent of the praying, that's the bent of your thinking, that's the bent of your lives. A heavenly perspective that will affect how you live your life today. Your priorities, your values, your choices, what you're going to say, what you're not going to say. I'm thinking, how's that going to look on that day? Thy kingdom come. You see? That's why it's so important. How's this going to play then? And so it's a future sense that we're looking at when all evil is done away with, that Jesus is seated on a throne. In Jerusalem, a renewed earth, Garden of Eden kind of quality, the curse lifted, all people willingly submitted to the will of the visible reigning God. Yeah, we're praying that. We're living that. God, your will perfected, established in all those you've created, in me, in us. And even creation is groaning. Romans chapter 8 says the, the, the volcanoes and the tsunamis and the earthquakes and the thunderstorms and the tornadoes, the flooding, the droughts, creation is saying, please, please, we're looking for the day 
And he says, you should be praying and thinking and living for that great day, for God's will to be done, you know, for him to take action. And he says, as it is in heaven. Well, as, yeah, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. As it is in heaven, oh, there's a lot going on in heaven and there's no trouble. There's no, <laughs> there's no division. There's no, uh, uh, no problems. The Old Testament saints, as we call them, they're just believers. Uh, those who have died in Christ, the Christians throughout the ages, the archangels, any kind of angels for that matter, the seraphim, the cherubim, the elders around the throne, whatever. They're all in harmony every day in heaven is joy and peace and love. And everything's ordered. There's no rebellion. They kicked him out. They threw him out. And a third of his friends who said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's rebel against the living most high God. (laughs) They're out. So as it is in heaven, may that be on earth. And that will be the case that the way things operate in heaven is coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> Amen? Amen. I'm glad you guys like that one. All right. So, <laughs> you want his kingdom to come, right? I mean, are you not tired of the way this kingdom works? <laughs> I am. So he says, the whole New Testament says, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus. And so that's the approach. And, and uh, the purpose, really, of all of our praying is that God's will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me say before we move on to the rest of the prayer, there's a cost in praying this. Your will be done on earth in my life. Oh, we have all kinds of plans how our lives should go and, and should have gone. And it just doesn't happen. Paul, I've always wanted to go to Spain. Where's Spain in the Bible? <laughs> Apparently, he did not make it to Spain, but that's been my lifelong endeavor to go all the way to the farthest reaches of the West, which was Spain. I'm sorry. His will triumphs over our dearest held desires. Oh, you didn't plan for that loss or that cross or that thorn? but he's working something for your good, the painful things as well, because I know this, because Jesus models this mentality in the garden where he tells his disciples, I'm being crushed to death here. I'm being crushed, and he's bleeding out of his pores. And then he says, I would rather this all go away if that's possible, but nevertheless, and here's the structure to frame your whole life and your prayers, your will. And his will was that his son be stripped and mocked and battered and bruised and spat upon. That was the will. How could God do that? Well, now we know. Now we see it as the greatest, most beautiful uh, demonstration of love possible. There is no greater love than this, than a man who is God as well, 
lay down his life for his friends. Oh, so when, when I get a thorn or a sliver that I will say is a thorn, <laughs> then I can say with Christ, with the weight of sins upon his shoulders, God, I'm not a happy camper right now. My world's upside down. But nevertheless, you're good and your will is good and I submit. I submit. Now, help me walk through this narrow path. Okay, let's finish the prayer with three requests. Give us today our daily bread check. Daily necessities are part of your basic praying. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. The word is the same word. So daily provision, daily necessities, and then daily need of forgiveness, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, daily spiritual protection. This is what Jesus thinks, a, a daily common prayer, that when you stop in the morning with your cup of coffee, you open the Bible, these would make good categories for you to be thinking about and lifting before your father as you bring the rest of your life under his will. When you've talked about your marriages and your singleness and your families and your careers and your leisure time hobbies and your ambitions and the problem at work and your friends and your comfort and your woundings and your conduct as you pray that under the will of God, how that looks under the will of God. You've already been there with your father, right? Now it's time for you to be able to take uh, some three categories and talk about needs. Let's dive into the necessities. The big idea here is, is that God wants to hear from us every day. That's why the Christian life is called a walk. We walk with God and we interact with God every day. How it, what is Jesus saying? I want to talk to you. I want you to rely upon me, not for next week, not for yesterday, for this day, I want to hear from you because you've got needs today and those are the needs you should be talking to me about. Now, if he's saying daily bread, that I have to check in for my daily bread, that I need that daily, daily bread, then he wants me to talk to him every day. That's what a relationship is about. And there are some Christians that just do not ever talk and don't ask them about daily bread because they've got it piled up already all by themselves. But this is the crazy part. The crazy part is, is that people think they do a pretty good job. I don't need a, I, you know, we're not in a third world country. It's hard for me to, to feel like I need to be on my knees. Oh Lord, where's the next meal coming from? Because you underestimate your great dependence on Jesus. In John 15, 5, he says, just so you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you may think that's you accumulating that money, you have a savings account, you have a retirement, and name all of your assets. 
You would have nothing, Jesus says, unless he blessed it and he gave it to you. Even though you haven't acknowledged it or seen how desperate you are for his blessing on your hard work. You just see the hard work and you think, well, yeah, I've really worked hard for it. He says, let me show you what you would have if I released my hand of blessing from you. Yeah. No, I didn't mean yes. That was so good. Yeah, I know. Sheba, we're good. All right. So, oh, did y'all just enjoy a nice breath? Oh, is your heartbeat still doing that dub-dub, lub-dub thing? He's going to... The second I release my hand off of anything, it'll all unravel. You... Oh, your breath, your heartbeat, and everything, every good thing. He says, every blessing comes down from God. Well, what about the non-Christians who don't even know him? And look at their bank accounts. He says, that's me. He says, I'm kind to the wicked and generous with the ungrateful. I'm blessing them. Nobody has a blessing without the blesser, whoever they are. Right, and so that's why he says, uh, you may think that you don't need me and you've got plenty piled up, but I suggest you just hit your knees and thank me and depend on me and learn to trust in a simple lifestyle that's chill, that says you've got a father in heaven. You don't need to be running around like the pagans. And that's what he told them. This, is, this part of the prayer, our daily bread is saying, you guys need to relax my people are the only ones in the whole world that had a Sabbath because the rest of the world was without a father, so they had to work seven days a week. See, you have a father, you can have a Sabbath, you don't need to worry about what the birds and the flowers don't need to worry about because God clothes them and feeds them. They go to bed at night with a full tummy, the birds. And he says, how much more valuable are you? So just look to him for your daily necessities. Rely on him and he will come through. That's the way he is. And so let us humble ourselves before God, one writer said, before God has to come and teach you where it all goes without his hand of blessing. And so uh, there's more to life than just uh, food and rent. And so that's where we ask daily necessities is also the grace to deal with a difficult person. That's daily bread. The wisdom to make that decision at 2 p.m., that's daily bread. So I see that as what's going on today. What can I give you to nourish you? And so he goes on now with help for your heart because it's not just about making your rent. It's about having a heart that's right before God. Let's talk about daily uh, forgiveness. He says, let's talk about forgiveness. Your sins against me and other sins against you because that's important. Now here he uses the word debt. And uh, Luke, when he talks about this, he uses the word sin. And so it's the same idea. The metaphor is a little bit different. But when we sin, uh, the, the pictures in Greek of sin is falling short of a standard, stepping over a line. That's where we say trespass, right? Uh, to rebel. 
uh, to act wickedly. And, uh, and my favorite is lawlessness. Lawlessness. You just, nobody tells you what to do. You're just going to do it. Not even God. That's sin. And it puts us out of fellowship with God. So not in a salvation way, uh, but in a fellowship way. And so when we sin, we're not, in jeopardy, we're not jeopardizing our salvation. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you've been eternally saved. That's what he calls it, eternal life. So once you have something that's called eternal life, what do you have? But if it wasn't eternal, then you couldn't call it eternal life anyway. I, I digress. And so in the, in the same way that we have a sin nature that sometimes gets the best of us, we're supposed to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and keep that beast at bay. But a lot of times the beast gets out and we sin. It's the same way when you violate a friend, when you say something terribly rude or do something that you deserve uh, total um, absence of fellowship from that person. The same thing happens when we sin against God, that the fellowship is broken. We're not walking with him anymore. Why? Because we spit in his face or we grieved him or we quenched the spirit or we gave him a backhand. Bam. And then we wake up in the morning like, whoa, God, what's up? You know, and oh, my heavenly father. And he's like, can we talk about your sins yesterday? Did you hear how you talked to your wife? Dude, let, we need to talk before, oh, yeah, yeah, you want to talk about the job site and all of that. That's nice. Can we go back to your sins? So he says, think about, do a scan. The Holy Spirit will help you. <laughs> he will help you. They will come straight up. We need to talk about that. So he says, I want you to talk about those things with me because they have disjointed our fellowship, not our um, sense of father, son's father, daughter. You, that remains. But the sense of walking together, right? The selfish attitudes, the gossip, the greed, the, the lust, the sexual immorality, the lying, anything like that, or failure to do the right thing. Those things have to be observed and acknowledged and turned from and talked to him about and asked the forgiveness. And now he says, and notice the, how the petition is phrased in verse 12. Notice this. Okay, we're asking for the same forgiveness that we ourselves are extending to those who have offended us in like ways. Let me, let me get that there. Look at the genius of Jesus. He's saying, and ask you, and pray this way, Lord, we're asking you to, for the same forgiveness for me that I'm extending every day to those who sin against me. Oh, wait a second here. No, we don't want clause B. We only want the first clause. Oh, Lord, forgive me for what I did was wretched and all of this and all of that. And Jesus ties the efficacy of forgiveness for you to how you're forgiving others because he says, I, you know, it just is, it doesn't make any sense to God that he should give, supply you a lifetime of mercy and you withhold a pinch comparatively of what you've been forgiven, a lifetime. How many sins is that? 
And so now you've got a couple of sins against you from somebody, but you're going to suck down all of the mercy of a lifetime and then pinch out. You're not even willing to pinch out. And he says, it doesn't, oh, no, 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 uh, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. And that's why he brings down, uh, Spencer, you can cut uh, ahead here to 14 and 15. If you forgive men when they sin against you, good. God will forgive you. But if you don't, please know that you're not getting forgiven either. Now, a couple things that this can and can't mean. Number one, it can't mean eternal salvation is hinged upon your ability or willingness to forgive because nobody would be going to heaven. All right? Salvation comes by grace and faith alone. There is not one condition tied to the gospel's invitation to live forever and be reconciled to God. Not one, including forgiveness. So what is he saying? Couple options. One is he, he could be saying, listen, if you're not right with me, the kinds of people who remain in unforgiveness are the kinds of people who remain in unbelief. And so you're, un, you're, you're bitter, you're agitated, you're angry, and you're unforgiving because you've never experienced the forgiveness of God. So in that sense, he could be talking. But another writer said this. The other option is, is that in your daily sins, and this makes sense, your daily sins that don't lead to condemnation, but just lead to a loss of blessing. You're out of fellowship with him. He will not let you proceed in blessing, in spiritual growth, in Christian maturity, in ministerial opportunities. He will not release you from the debt of what you're doing that you're not confessing. Uh, you're not rather forgiving other people. So he's got you in a holding pattern saying, those sins are not being remitted. I'm still offended. That's what he's saying to a saved person. I'm still offended. Why? Because you won't do what I asked you to do. You think you're the exception. I'm commanding you. Release that grudge. Extend that mercy. Give them to me. I'll take care of it way better than you can. It's just not your job. It's not your responsibility. It's mine. So let me do me and you do you. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And then... And then now we can talk about your sins against me, your offenses. And now I'm willing. I'm willing. Let it go. Yes, okay. You didn't mean it. You didn't know what you were saying. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. He's so gracious with us, but he wants us to acknowledge, turn from it, and repent and change and try to do differently. He's quick. If, you're, if you confess your sins before the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive you those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the ability is there. And, and, and along the same lines, when Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he's washing the disciples' feet to kind of show the action of cleansing our sins before the cross, which was coming up hours after that. And Peter, of course, you know the story. He says, you're not going to wash my feet. This is too embarrassing. No way. The Lord washing my dirty feet, I don't think so. No. And then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. So Jesus, uh, Peter rather, overreacts and says, okay, whoa, no part with you. 
Now, okay, then wash my head and my body, my hands, my arms, whatever. And Jesus says, those who have had a bath are clean, and you're clean. But your feet will need to be washed. So he was saying, those who trust in Christ, their sins are washed away. But they have a sin nature, and their feet wander and pick up the dirt and filth of this world. And those are the fellowship sins that he's talking about here, perhaps, when he's saying, I, I'm not letting you go of that. We'll be out of fellowship until you want to bow the knee and let them go. And when you find the mercy in your heart to let them go, then we can talk and the blessings can flow again. I'll get you back in the game. But right now, you're sidetracked. You're, you're on the bench. No way. That's what he's saying there, too. And then he says, and, and when you're praying, don't forget. And the last thing he says, which just kind of leaves you hanging there, is don't forget about the devil. <laughs> and lead us not into temptation. Daily protection against falling into sin and rescue us from the devil. So let's talk about this in closing. Just a couple minutes here. And so, yeah, daily time with dad, daily time for, for worship, daily time for daily bread, daily forgiveness, and daily protection from threats unseen. Now, all worshipers, we know our unique vulnerabilities to do and say and think and feel in sinful ways. And so he says... Every day of your life, when you come before me, a good subject would be, how's your soul doing today? Yeah, I heard about your coworker, and I heard about the big unexpected bill, but I want to talk also about your soul. Are you letting it drift a little bit? Are you being deluded and seduced by your Facebook friends? Or, you know, because it doesn't happen. And why he wants you to do this daily is because it doesn't usually happen overnight, you leaving the faith or, or um, some spiritual disaster come your way. It doesn't. You usually don't wake up one morning out of the blue and say, you know, I want to commit adultery. It's A to B. Here's how he works. And this is why you need daily uh, checking in and protection and don't lead me down that path. And then you'll see, whoops, I'm spending too much time with her at the cooler, making little comments and flirting around. But you won't see that because the devil gets you from A to B. You go to B and you're like, whoa, I haven't been over to B. Don't worry, dude. It's one step back to A. You're, you're okay. You're within, look, you can see it. It's right there. Okay, and then you wake up and you're at C. You know, and you're like, whoa, I'm further than A. But he says, yeah, but B's right there, bro. B, B. You know, how far can B be, right? And then you go to D. And then you got, oh, don't worry, C's right there. And then you, you wake up. Six months later, at X, Y, and Z, and you're like, how did this happen? Well, because every day you're ignoring him. You don't, you know, whatever. You don't spend any time in prayer. How do you expect that a disaster like that wouldn't happen to you? So he says, make it a part of your daily time with me to do a spiritual sweep of, the, of your kryptonite areas. Does he have a foothold? How are we doing in that darling sin of yours? 
right? He wants to check in with those things. Strengthen me. Here it is. Give me discernment and all of that. And then he says, you know, deliver us from the devil. The devil, heads up. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He deceives, he distracts, he seduces, and he gets in there. You know, one time, and I've told you this before, oh, back in the early days of our marriage, uh, Barb and I had a total misunderstanding. And, and it wasn't over anything major, but the reactions on both of our parts were like, this is the worst thing that ever happened. And suddenly Barb just stops, both of us, and says, whoa, hold on here. This, this is the enemy. This is demonic oppression because this if you put this on paper people would laugh right so let's pray and so we prayed and i was like oh there we go he he's constantly at work seeking to destroy and maybe it's not satan himself because he's probably busy right now in the swamp That way, <laughs> that way. But he has demons, and they know who you are because you're dangerous. Why? Because you're so cool. No. <laughs> because the Spirit of God lives in you, and you're dangerous because of that. So let's mess you up. And Jesus says, in your daily time, we want to do a sweep, and we want to be thinking is the devil around? Do we need rescue? Because the rescue hopter, uh, hopter, <laughs> the rescue helicopter is ready and willing to come your way. But you got to pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this model prayer and just uh, all the insights. I am sure, God, that and has been many series and series and series, maybe a year of teaching just from a few of these lines. God, you're so profound, and we love you so much. We're all terrible at praying, God, every last one of us. It's just we all fall short. I'm appalled at how hard it is for a me to pray. Um, God, would you give us the grace to see how desperate we are that we can't do anything without you. And we need to be hitting our knees more often. Whatever position works for us, God, whatever time works for us, to, to pray without ceasing, to not let the umbilical cord get all knotted up, but to flow so we can be nourished, God. Change, change us, God. We just, uh, we just don't... We've got fears and we avoid you and... It's all stupid. God, just help us to fall in love with you and fall in love with the idea of being with you and fall in love with the idea of praying. Make us want to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.